You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Just like that, the final hour is here for the Tuesday edition of Outkick 360. Coming up in 20 minutes, baseball legend Kurt Schilling will be with us on the show. You can check out the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show right now at Outkick.com. It launches uh, every Tuesday and Friday on the site. Looking forward to that chat. More headlines to come as well. Chad, Kendrick Perkins and J.J. Reddick, they provided, I'll, I'll say, entertaining television for first take Stephen A. Smith was on screen he didn't say all that much he didn't need to and you stumbled upon this this morning so it was uncomfortable yet entertaining television and I, I don't often watch first take but I happened to be home and turn on the television and the timing was impeccable because as I turned on the TV this is what I heard you know it happens. So for you to come over here and say, oh, that's not who Jokic is. That's not that's not the type of person he is. It's not in his nature. Before Giannis did what he did two nights ago, did anybody think it was in his right, nature? JP. Did anybody right, know how he it. was feeling? I mean, Stephen, I mean, I mean no offense to you, and I mean no offense to First Take, because I think this show is extremely valuable. It is an honor to be on this desk every day. It really is. But what we've just witnessed is the problem with this show, where we create narratives that do not exist in reality. The implication, what you are implying, that the white voters that vote on NBA are racist, they, are, they, they favor white people. You just said that. You just, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. That is exactly what you implied. That is exactly what you implied. I did not come. I stated the facts. I stated the facts. And you're not about to sit up. We all know what you implied the other day. We all know what you implied this time. I stated the time. It's the facts. It's the facts. It's the facts. Secondly, no one said that players don't stat pad. No one said that players aren't aware of their stats within a game. You're talking about Giannis doing it. That has nothing to do with Nikola Jokic. My point that I made the other day, which is a valid point and which I will stand by, is that Nikola Jokic does not care. What he cares about doesn't fit your narrative. So your narrative to discredit him somehow, to discredit what he's doing, it's not based in reality, Perk. And no one is disrespecting Giannis. No one is disrespecting Joel Embiid. Look, earlier in the season, you could have made an argument for Luka for MVP. You could have made an argument for Tatum. Right now, 65 games, to, you know, with 17 to go, there's three guys you can make an argument for. And they all have valid arguments. Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic, they all have valid arguments. No one's discrediting them. That from first take this morning with Kendrick Perkins and J.J. Redick, who you heard there, uh, briefly from Stephen A. Smith, trying to get J.J. a, a chance to respond. Um, so Kendrick Perkins, prior to when that clip picks up, was saying that voters are voting for Jokic over Giannis or over so, Embiid because he's white. There's a video that he has since deleted that a lot of people responded to that he posted on his own. I believe we have that video 
This will explain what J.J. Redick is responding to. Here is Kendrick Perkins. J.J., I need to know, is it Uchiwali or is it one Mike? I need to know when it comes down to the criteria moving the goalposts for the MVPs because I understand you in the analytics. I understand you're a historian of the game of basketball. But I went and did a little research myself. And since 1990, there's only been three MVPs that wasn't top 10 in scoring that won that award. Dirk Nowinski, Steve Nash, and Jokic. Now, what all, what do they have in common? I let it sit there and marinate. I'm just trying to see, you know what I'm saying, when I'm walking into the club, do I need my J's on or is it a dress code? Do I need to put another pair, you know, a shirt shoes or some red bottoms? Or I need to know, is it Uchiwale or is it one might? Like, what's the criteria when moving the goalposts for certain players to win the MVP? I need to know. Because it seems like the goalposts move every single time when we want to push it out there, this particular player that we want to win the MVP. Because we all know in 2006 when Kobe was averaging 31, when he the Lakers were the seventh seed and the roster that he had uh, uh, compared to Steve Nash and Steve Nash won his second consecutive MVP in 2006, was he really supposed to win that? Was he really supposed to outdo Kobe that year? I'm just trying to figure it out, bro. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get an understanding. What's the criteria and why the goalposts move for certain players? Is it Uchiwali or is it one Mike? Carry on. So now to get a definition of Uchiwali versus one Mike or whatever that is, we got to go to our correspondent, Davey Hudson, who did the necessary research before the show. I have no clue. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I have never heard that expression before. I have no clue what he's talking about. But Davey Hudson has done the research. Yeah, so I had to go to Urban Dictionary on this one because, I, I, I'll be honest, it took me like a few minutes just to figure out exactly how to spell out what he was saying. But Uchiwali, or is it one Mike, comes, comes down to it's a phrase commonly used to point out hypocrisy and double standards in people, organizations, or governments. And so it originates from a Jay-Z song back in 2002. But you would just say, is it Uchiwali or is it one Mike? So... Here's the thing with all of this. Um, Kendrick Perkins is picking a convenient year to start because in 87 and 89, Magic Johnson won league MVP and he was not in the top 10 in scoring. So starting in 90, okay, you can say, well, that's, that's his version of modern era, whatever. He's picking a convenient time. Now, when he says, I did not, I did not, I did not, I did not say that, well, technically he's right. He didn't say it. He did imply it. Sure. He says three white players, two of which are European, one Serbian, one German, and then Steve Nash, who is Canadian, but all three white, mm-hmm. won it, and he's asking, why Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think that's the case? We all know what he's implying and what the implication is. And J.J. Reddick's not an idiot. He knows what he's implying also. He's implying that white voters for the MVP are racist and they move the goalposts for white players when white players are really good, and they have a higher likelihood of winning MVP. Now, I I disagree with that stance. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that this makes Kendrick Perkins a racist. I think what we consistently see from Kendrick Perkins is that he's just not very smart. He's not an intelligent guy. And when you put a guy in this format every single day who's not particularly smart you're going to get outcomes like this. They're putting him in an awful spot. 
because he's not very intelligent. I don't think he's an evil guy. I don't think he's a racist guy. I don't think he's very smart. And when he goes head-to-head with someone like J.J. Reddick, Duke-educated J.J. Reddick, or even Stephen A. Smith, he's going to appear dumb next to these guys. There's this idea, I think, oftentimes in media that, you know, we need to put someone on camera that's like our viewers, okay? You've got to also think about there's a reason people are on TV sometimes. It's because they can deliver a really good point or they can argue something or they're good on television. You don't just put anyone on TV because you think, well, our viewers are like this, so it'll be good. Well, you have viewers for a reason because they like the show and who's on there. Not everyone should go on camera or go on television. And I think Kendrick Perkins is a great example of this. I've thought this throughout his career in media. He's not smart. That's my biggest problem with Kendrick Perkins. It's not an ESPN culture problem. It's not a racism problem. The guy's not very smart. So his his line of thinking is you got to be top 10 in scoring. Is that what he's saying? His line of thinking is clearly that white guys well, right, get a break. Based on that, top 10 in scoring. Yeah, they had, this, it, they had a whole other so, side argument too, Hutton, though, about Russell Westbrook was crushed because he was padding stats when right. he had the triple-double record. Right. And Jokic is getting triple-doubles all the time, but he's not padding stats. He's just doing it the right way, and he's a team player, unlike Russell Westbrook. Well, uh, Frank Isola, NBA reporter, he's been on our show. He's also uh, joined Dan Doggett's multiple times. He, he notes that Jokic won the award last season. He finished fifth in total points. He was third in points the year before the season where he won his first MVP. So I don't know where his argument for finishing top 10 in scoring is for specifically Jokic. It's also sad when you have to manufacture this to get people interested in talking about the NBA. The yeah. NBA is not a storyline, if not for this debate this morning on ESPN. We're not talking about it Well, I'm, I'm honestly... It's that boring. I, I think the story here, though, is less about MVP and who should win. I don't care. I, I don't. Right. This, this argument doesn't make me care. If Jokic wins or Giannis or Embiid, I do not care. I think the big storyline is J.J. Reddick stood up on an ESPN show and said, let me tell you the problem with this ESPN show. It's that you push narratives and say dumb things, and people actually believe them. Well, and When you say things like this, people actually believe they're true, and it's, coming and from it's not reality. A player uh, in J.J. Reddick and also uh, media members who have backed the league multiple times on issues. It could be race-related. It could be anything. And so when you have those who have been with you, you know, in the, in the fire, debating things on your side to say this, now you're pointing the finger at your own colleagues? That's, that's the thing that really stood out to me is you've got Kendrick Perkins pointing to the NBA media as being racist, insinuating yeah. that. So, so two, thing, two big takeaways from it. One is what I said about Reddick. Crazy that, you know, I just thought it was... Interesting that he stood up on first take and said, let me tell you the problem, Stephen A., with all due respect, with your show is that you force narratives out there that aren't based in reality. And part of the problem. And you're part of the problem because people believe these narratives. Molly Karam came back later and said, I would like to defend that and say, we are a debate show. We're not here to force narratives. We don't come in with a narrative and say, let's get people to believe this. People offer their opinions back and forth. And basically, you know, that's the opinion of one panelist or whatever it may be. 
The second big takeaway is that is a big problem at ESPN, and I think probably more of a problem than other places is people don't think twice to call a white person racist or white people racist. It's not even a second thought about it. You are completely protected. If you're Kendrick Perkins and you say white NBA MVP voters are racist or you insinuate it, there needs to be hesitation before you call people racist. Anyone, I don't care what race you are, you should hesitate before making the argument that something happened because of racism. And I do think that ESPN and a lot of sports media is in a place right now where you are completely comfortable to call a white person racist on camera and get away with it and it'd be fine and no one to challenge you. So I applaud J.J. Reddick for standing up and saying, it's just not true. The voters who cover the NBA that are white are not racist. They're not making decisions based on race. And he's almost saying, it's amazing I'm having to tell this to you right now and that we're having to have this conversation. With so those those are my two big takeaways from all 17-ish games left in the season to play yeah. out. The other thing, too, there is nothing authentic or genuine about manufactured debate. There's a reason, though, why they continue to push this. Uh, it's for clicks, and it's for fake headlines like this. So if any organization wants to push, be authentic, be genuine... With that, what they're really saying is be something that someone's going to click on, not something that's factual. And that's what we saw this morning on first take. Point blank. It can happen anywhere. But if you want to be authentic and genuine, there's a reason why you don't see Ron Jaworski on ESPN much anymore, or you, you don't see Tim Legler on ESPN anymore, and you get this instead. Uh, or, or you don't see Dan Dockage. Well, fan of yeah, ESPN. But like, I mean, let's, it's let's not just ESPN, by the way. It's any website that are looking for clicks and headlines over anything else. Yeah, when you there's when nothing you, authentic or genuine when you about search, that. When you search clicks and or division over substance, right. then you're gonna get arguments that are in bad faith or just really dumb. Now I I don't know that this debate was inauthentic that we witnessed today. I think this was pretty real in the moment with JJ Reddit calling him out and what he said about the show. And I, here's what I think about Kendrick Perkins, though, going back to my original point. He's authentically dumb. That's the problem with putting Kendrick Perkins on air. When you put someone on air that's just not that smart, I, don't be surprised when they say things that aren't that smart. But the, going back on the other issue is, it's a big problem that not a single person hesitates to call a white person racist. Think about that before you throw it out there, allegations like that. At least give it some thought Well, but also, before doing it and then facing no repercussions. What would Kendrick Perkins say to the black media member who's voting for Jokic? You're, uh, I, I don't, ha- he I don't know. He hasn't said anything about that. Yeah. I, <laughs> Again, he's lumping everyone in into the voter category. Right. Which is just, as you're saying, it's dumb. And he'll, dumb he'll, never, he'll never have to apologize for it. Of course not. He deleted the video that he put out. No, you know why? Because they accomplished what they wanted. We're talking about it today. And we're not talking about anything regarding the National Basketball Association. I don't that's know that, my overall I, I disagree. Point. I don't know that ESPN wants us saying... They want Kendrick that, Perkins doing it. That's why they keep him out there. Because they, he'll continue to push this. I don't know that ESPN, though, wants us saying that, you know, they don't hesitate to call white people racist. Well, they, they wouldn't... I'm pretty sure ESPN does not that. like OutKick. They would say, of course not. But they, I don't think they, they, they would like say, the... Kendrick the, Perkins, uh, he's, he's allowed to state his opinion... The, the thing that they won't do is penalize J.J. Reddick either. That's what they can't do with this. They'll just no. bring it back for, a, you know, they'll 
pay him ten grand an episode. The only like person doing that, could, that could the only person that could punish JJ Reddick is Stephen A. Smith. That's if Stephen true. A. Smith decided that, hey man, you came on my show and you wrecked it, or you talked about which he didn't do our though. show. Yeah, I think he was totally fine. Uh, he, I mean, I, Stephen A. Smith. It went on for a while. He actually agreed. He agreed with JJ Reddick on one point, the main point he was making, that he doesn't think that the voters are racist, but then also agreed with Kendrick Perkins on on something else. Kurt Schilling joins us next. We talk all things Major League Baseball. Can I ask him about ESPN? With one of the greats. Oh, no doubt. We did the last time he joined us. Yeah. He's going to join us uh, every other week here on Outkick 360. You can check out the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, available now at outkick.com. It drops Tuesdays and Fridays uh, moving forward. It's been a, a big success thus far. We chat about the upcoming MLB season with Kurt next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. There's a bunch of teams this year that are entering the season with a closer by committee. What are your thoughts on closer by committee versus having a main closer? Uh, in two words, it's ass. Um, here's the problem. This is where sabermetrics and baseball clash. And the sabermetric guys don't understand why the baseball guys can't just get it. Um, to, when, when the sabermetric guys look at a bullpen, they look at a list of data, right? First pitch strikes, uh, who gets the first hit, the first hitter out, which is the big hitter for the reliever, more than the other guys. Um, walks, you, you know, your whip, uh, uh, how you hold runners, all these other things. The problem is that none of those factors account for the inning in which that happens. And unfortunately for sabermetric guys, Pitchers think differently in the ninth inning than they do in the eighth, than they do in the seventh, than they do in the sixth. It's just human nature because everybody in the ninth inning hitting in a game that's close is hitting with the mentality of the tying runs on third. I need to get him in or get on base. That's a different mental approach than they take for their other bats during the game for the most part. Pitchers have to change and elevate in the ninth inning their mental approach to, to pitching. And some guys just can't do it. It's just not, I mean, I can remember, I think it was uh, in my career, 2003, the Red Sox went with a closer by committee to open the season and it, they had a great bullpen. It turned out to be a disaster. It doesn't work. Kurt Schilling there, for the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, outkick.com is where you can find that podcast and broadcast. And Kurt Schilling joins us. He'll be joining us every other week here on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Kurt, great perspective as always. Thank I'm you. curious from this end, 
how many pitchers today are pissed off that they have to give up the baseball to the manager when he comes out to the mound late in the game versus just accepting it because that's how baseball is today? Starting pitchers? Uh, but you're, I was specifically thinking closer, closer by committee. Yeah, it's very different. It's very, it's a very, very different mentality between a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher. So, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is that you is the monetary difference in payment between uh, bullpen guys and closers. It's it's drastically different. You watch the uh, Kenley Jans with the Red Sox this 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 winter. Um, they have a different pay scale than the rest of the relievers. That should change with this new method uh, of how you use bullpens um, because I see that number going up across the board in the bullpen while starting pitchers numbers other than the Scherzers and Verlanders go down. You know, outside of pitching ability, is there a common denominator you found with the best closers you're around mentally? I, I think of closers the way I think about kickers in the NFL at times that there's a certain yeah. mentality that, you just have to have it, which is blocking out pressure a lot of times. In, in short amount of time that you're getting, you can't let the situation bother you. Who are some of the best you've been around, and is that a common denominator with, with the good guys? Uh, yeah, it's no memory, I think. Uh, no, you can't have a memory um, in, in many ways because – and I, 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 when I was traded uh, from Baltimore to Houston in 1990 um, – uh, in 91, I became the closer in Houston for a brief period of time. And I, I wasn't good at it. I didn't, I, I, I had a lot of trouble letting go of a bad inning on Monday night and you can't do that. And it's just different. It's such a different game. Mario Vera is the best, obviously I've ever seen. And if you remember any videos of him, there was literally never any emotion uh, until the inning was over and it was elation, but there was never when he, you know, I was, on the on the I was boots on the ground for two of his biggest blown saves in the history of his career in 01 and then in 04 against us in Boston. Um he walked off the field. It's a no memory thing, but it is a different inning. And I, I again I don't understand. I not I don't understand. It's just hard for me to explain to people who are sabermetrically driven. You know, you cannot like it. But it's just fact. I mean, you listen, I, I still argue that Blake Snell and the Tampa Bay Rays lost the World Series because of sabermetrics. If you remember that World Series, he's in the seventh inning. He's dealing. He's throwing like a two-hitter. And they didn't want him to go around the lineup again. And what happened? They brought in bullpen, and it didn't work. And they lost the World Series. And I still believe they lost it because of that. And, uh, you know, I'm much more focused on the starting pitcher side of this in the sense that I can't watch. It's very hard for me to watch a game when a starting pitcher comes out in the sixth inning and tips his cap because uh, he's coming out of the game. That, that that's uncomfortable. It's it's like borderline, yeah, like should be censored video. It makes me that uncomfortable. Kurt Schilling with us, the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show now at Outkick.com. New uh, uh, new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Kurt, when did this shift begin to happen from your era? You're talking about finishing a game, pitching nine, or it wasn't good enough to now where it's six innings and the tip of the cap what where where is the yeah. year that we've shifted to this line of thinking it's it's actually very easy if you look at the progression of the money and saber metrics into the game you'll find the dissolution of the five-man starting rotation uh and more importantly to me you're the 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 
the elimination of the true ace. And I'm not talking about the guy that pitches opening day. I'm talking about the guy on your roster that you know will pitch opening day, will pitch the first game after the All-Star break, might start the All-Star game, and he'll pitch a winner go home game in October. Those are the those are the those are your your you know your Kershaws, your Verlanders, guys like that. Those guys used to be, you know, with 30 some teams in the game, there was maybe 10 of them. Um true ones, true aces. Now with 30 some teams, there's there's I think far less than 10. Um and I think you can see those two factors, the money. Um, and, oh, I mean, watch, I think a real good case study this year will be Jacob deGrom in Texas. You watch the kid gloves that they coach him with and how quickly he comes out of game after five or six innings when they're winning four to nothing or he, and he's got a no hitter. I mean, how many guys in the last two years have you seen come out of a no hitter? You know, I, I get that for a young pitcher at 140 pitches in the eighth or ninth inning, but that's not the case. That hasn't been the case. And uh, I would have I would have probably been suspended multiple times for punching my manager in the throat <laughs> for coming out in the seventh or eighth inning of a game when I only had 110 pitches and it was three to one um, because that's the way I was. And, you know, I know this sounds like an old man get off my lawn versus new school kind of argument. But the fact of the matter is I was raised to believe that only one statistic mattered for a starting pitcher, and that was innings pitched. Because the philosophy is if you have the innings, all of the other numbers will be where you want them to be. And for the most part, it's true. If you, you know, these guys are entering or ending the season with 168 innings. That was like mid-August total. And and you know, and, and so and, and while you might see that as a better philosophy, every inning you take away from your starting pitcher, you add to your bullpen. And you're looking at, at teams now. And I think if, if you're a fan of a team, what you have, if you're a legitimate contending club, you have to go into the season with probably a 10 to 11 man bullpen. And by that, I mean, you need your five to seven big league relievers, but you've got to have three to five in AAA who will accept that split contract or a, a below average deal because you're going to have to flip flop your, your bullpen. With all the things going on, and you have to have arms you can bring up and put into high leverage situations. So this stat, courtesy of Ryan Spader, who who covers Major League Baseball, right oh, now, eighty-one point five two percent success rate is the stolen base success rate throughout this spring. Ricky Henderson stole bases at an eighty point seven six percent clip during his career. The Major League Baseball average last year was seventy five. 0.41%. Kurt, that's that's a significant climb. And I, I had to ask dumb. the question, what would Ricky Henderson's stolen base percentage be with these larger bases? It's not done. It's not. I'm telling you, it's not done improving. And I said, I think I was talking to you guys about it. I said that I thought that the pickoff rule would have a, a much more significant impact than any other rule change. I just don't think we're done yet. I think we, you know, I think much like you saw Scherzer testing the pitch clock, you're going to see base runners doing the very same things. Because I got to tell you, if you had Ricky Henderson first base and Ricky knew that I couldn't throw over, I'm pretty sure his success rate would have been over 80%. Um, and these guys are pushing that. So, so basically what you've done is you've turned all of the base dealers in Major League Baseball into Ricky Henderson. 
is, is what that stat's telling me. And I'm telling you right now, that number is not done going up. It will only get bigger and, and better for base runners as they figure out this system. Just, I think, the same way you see, I don't know if you guys saw the, the, the Scherzer at bat where he fast pitched, he quick pitched the guy on the last pitch. And then there's been a couple of bats where guys have just run through and they've, they've had the bat in 20 seconds. Hitters can't do that. Some pitchers can, and that's going to be, there's going to be a, a, a battle going on. Kurt Schilling, our guest on Outkick 360. I thought about you, Kurt, because I saw where Otani hit a homer from his knee in some exhibition for the World <laughs> Baseball Classic. We were talking to Otani a couple weeks ago. Um, do we as a general baseball public appreciate him as a player the way we should? No. No, we never because we've never seen anything like it and probably me. I gotta tell you this. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a plug in. Um, I'm working with a guy who I played with, his son, Dave Hollins, who played third base for Philadelphia. His son, to me, is the first player I've ever seen uh, that has uh, Otani-like potential as a pitcher and as a hitter. Um, he's playing in South Carolina as a junior in high school. He's one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, but uh, we can't appreciate it. We don't have anything to compare it to. That's the problem. Because you can, if you guys remember... Babe Ruth didn't do the pitching and the hitting together. He was a pitcher and then he was a hitter. That Otani is not just doing them together. He's as good a hitter as the best player I think anybody alive will ever see in Mike Trout. And he's the ace of that staff, not because they're of the lack of talent, but because he's an ace. I mean, this is unheralded, un unbelievable. The, the thing that really is hard for me to grasp is the schedule. The schedule was hard for me as a pitcher making 35 starts in six months. He's making 30-some starts and playing 100-some games and hitting at the top of the lineup and playing a and very physical uh, game. From an, he's, he's a great base runner. He's a fast base runner. He can steal bases. And he's a, he's a legit power threat. And, and that's just it's, – it's special. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy for baseball because – you know, everybody, you, you always hear that, that, that saying from fans, you know, would you buy a ticket to see this guy play? I mean, who wouldn't buy a ticket to see him play no matter where they are? Yeah. And I, I guess my question is how much more could baseball benefit from major league baseball specifically if Otani was a Yankee or with the Red Sox or with the Phillies or the Mets or the Cubs, or you name the team either in the Eastern time zone or the central time zone that have a huge following nationally. Yeah, I mean, is it the time zone? Because I, I think the Dodgers are a, a, yeah. a global. Oh, I could say it too about the Dodgers. If he was with the Dodgers right. and no. not the Angels, how much would, would the league right. benefit? And, and and I would argue that that's on the Angels more than anything. I mean, this is not Montreal. This is not Vladimir Guerrero in Montreal. This is this is one of the most talented human beings we've ever seen on a baseball field in California. Um, which, well, the population is dwindling rapidly for reasons we all know. Yeah. But Anaheim is, it, I mean, it's not like there isn't a lot, a large population. I think, I, I think, but, and that's a long-winded Kurt Schilling way of answering yes to your question. Absolutely, baseball would be better if he was somewhere else. I mean, hell, if he was in Arizona, it would be a bigger deal than it would be being in Anaheim. If he was in Seattle, it would be a huge deal. Um, you know, you remember uh, uh, with, with Ichiro, um, and people don't think of Seattle as like a, a Green Bay Packer NFL type market, but it is. But yes, he would he would benefit. And I think I really honestly believe everything the Dodgers have done this past winter is with an eye towards signing him next next year. Kurt, you mentioned about 10 aces from an era ago and now, 
you know, we're lucky to have two, three, four, five legit ones. The numbers made me think of how, how, many, how many clubhouses right now know they have a legitimate chance to win the World Series as we sit here in March? Like how, how many um, really are, you know what, we can win it right, this year? Right, right. I, I, I can tell you this. In my 20-some years, the four times I played on the team that went to the World Series, none of them were a shock after spring training. We knew. 93 Phillies, we knew in spring training we were badasses. Um, 0-1 Diamondbacks, we knew. Uh, 4 we were special and we knew. I think 7 might have been a little bit more surprising. Maybe to me because I was kind of a – I was a, a, a rider on that wagon, much less and less of a driving force. But um, to answer you, probably the, the teams that are in spring training right now that think they can win a World Series are probably there's probably five or six more than sh- there should be. Um, and, you know, but but I think the smarter teams, the better teams, the teams like the Cleveland Indians, they're not thinking about the World Series. Tito is a guy that gets his team focused on the day uh, and it makes it a lot easier to go through a baseball season when you're focused on the day. And it, the managers that can do that are challenge. They're hard to find. Um, but I always felt that that was a strength to him. I think Buck Showalter in New York, I think they believe absolutely believe they're world champions, but I think Buck will be able to manage that and, and keep their focus kind of inward. I Let me just tell you this. You want your team to be like the Boston Bruins are right now, right? They're guaranteed the number one seed. They're going to have one of the greatest seasons ever, but you have not heard anybody in that locker room speak one word about anything other than winning the Stanley Cup, right? You want them to have that mentality, but understand that there's a hockey game tonight and we have, and because you start representing something when that's the thing about the 93 team that I, I will tell you to the day I die. We, we're in love with each other in a very, very tight knit clubhouse way, but we were in love with the city and the city was in love with us in a way that I've never experienced, you know, until like Oh four or Oh one. And you, 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 the, you take the fans out on the field with you almost in, in a sense, the emotion and their investment, and it becomes very personal. And that's why it's always, I always look around in, in August and you can see the teams that are faking it. Uh, and just don't know yet, or the teams that know that, hey, you know, you can just feel, it's just a feel. Um, and then, you know, the teams that that are, hey, you know, yeah, this is great. We're going to win our division by eight games, but this is absolutely meaningless if we're not in the World Series. Kurt Schilling with us. Final thing for you. So Mike Clevenger avoids discipline from MLB with the accusations of domestic violence and child abuse. Uh, he's on a one-year contract up in Chicago with the White Sox. Uh, we have yet to hear anything on Trevor Bauer. Do we see Trevor Bauer back in the league? And we we do not, and, and why not? Never again. He'll never pitch another inning, unfortunately, uh, because of the woke culture and baseball's desire to pander to a large group of people who don't actually watch the sport. I mean, you know, the, 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 that that to me is what sports has done more I don't want to say guilty of, but if you're looking for a downfall, I mean, hell, look at the NBA and the ratings in the NBA. I mean, you know, and when you look at the diversity in sports, the NBA is a significantly larger majority of black athletes than white. Same with the NFL. If you look at the way they're catering to, again, a group of fans who they're not fans, they don't go to the games. What they do is they get vocal and aggressive to your sponsors. 
And the only thing that 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 owners hate more than bad press is losing money. And so the threat of it, even though it's I think it's in many ways very meaningless, I don't think it would have an impact. It's just the threat. And and I think the threat of what someone might do with Trevor. Well, listen, you you saw the gentleman that the young hockey player who didn't get drafted because of something he did in high school. The Bruins signed him this year, and outrage. He was gone, and this kid apparently is supremely talented. But the, the, it's to the point the players didn't want him, and the, I don't think the players didn't want him because of the guy he was. I think the players didn't want him because they didn't want the distraction that the media was going to bring to the Bruins every day. And you know, it's I feel I feel bad for the kid because if we got to play this game with the left and go back to their grade school days, and anything that they've done, we got to we got to eliminate, we got to cancel them. They would cease to exist. Is it the same with Bauer, though, in the clubhouse? The players uh, see it the same way you're describing with the Bruins? Well, here's the problem. I think the problem in the clubhouse, I don't think he was a good teammate. Um, I, you know, you, there's lots of stories going back to, to UCLA with him and Garrett Cole not getting along. UCLA teammates that said he was kind of a dick. Um, and then he gets to the – listen, anytime – and, and maybe Dansby Swanson might be the exception, although I don't know him. Um, anytime you see a number one pick – traded that early in their career that should be a, a huge red flag be it personality clubhouse something a huge red flag because baseball is very different from a draft perspective than any other sport are the guys in baseball are much farther away from major league baseball on the day of the draft than they are from any other sport for the most part you don't see guys drafted going to the big leagues yeah. it just doesn't happen um so anyway he, he he's I, I think he's throwing his last pitch because I don't. And it, again, you know, baseball has its own justice system because the, the the legal system is is almost really ignored by Major League Baseball. Whether you're found innocent or not, they're going to punish you if they don't like you or if they disagree with something you might have done, even though he was found not guilty. And I'll try. And, and I honestly, I'm not a big fan of the kids. I think he's kind of a dick too. But the fact of the matter is, he should be allowed to. He didn't get convicted of doing any anything wrong. The legal system, but we're in a system now where you're guilty until proven innocent in, in situations like that. So that's unfortunate. Kurt Schilling, you can hear more of this discussion and a preview of things to come this season. The Kurt Schilling Baseball Show, straight baseball all the time. Tuesdays and Fridays is when it launches at outkick.com. Kurt, it's great to have you on every other week. We appreciate you for this. Can't wait to hear uh, today's episode. And we'll talk to you in two Thank weeks. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, you take care. Yeah, man. See you. Kurt Schilling with us uh, on Tuesdays every other week. Going to be a blast. And again, every Tuesday and Friday at Outkick.com. Coming up, teams, not name the Ravens, who have said they had, they're not interested in Lamar Jackson right now. We've got the details there. Plus, Clay Travis had a ton of pants that he could not sell. Remember this, Chad? Oh, yeah. Adidas has now shoes. Millions and I millions we're and get millions of Clay uh, singing on stage with Lit. I don't know if you've seen that. I did see that. Yeah. I did a double take. Well, Davey's putting that in tomorrow's rundown. Good. I have thoughts. Good. I have thoughts about his gyrations on stage. This is Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wrapping up what's been a fun show for Outkick 360. Glad you've been with us. Six in the Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We're here each weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Broadcasting live from Nashville and across the network. So here are the teams since the franchise tag deadline. The non-exclusive tag has been handed down to Lamar Jackson from Baltimore. Meaning, he can continue to negotiate and, and accept a potential offer from another team. If he accepts that offer, it goes to Baltimore to match. If they choose not to match, Baltimore gets two first-round picks in return. But multiple outlets reporting, including Phil Yates, saying that here are the teams that will not be pursuing a contract for Lamar Jackson. The Falcons, the Dolphins, the Panthers, the Commanders, and now the Raiders. Again, Falcons, Dolphins, Panthers, Commanders, Raiders. This goes back to a previous discussion I brought up a couple, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month ago. Lamar Jackson is representing the NFLPA, which is why the NFLPA has already released a statement saying they're watching for the C-word collusion within minutes of the franchise tag deadline these owners have released information to the media teams whatever coaches saying we're not interested we're not going to pursue a contract with him you mean to tell me there's not a team out there that won't offer more than what baltimore's offering maybe not fully guaranteed but what's being reported is he's not going to receive an offer they're not going to pursue him in this particular offseason that's why the NFLPA is saying we're monitoring the collusion aspect of the NFL, not just with Baltimore, but the entire league who can now step up to another level beyond what Steve Bishotti's wanting to do. That's why I said I believe the market will not be what Lamar Jackson wants because of, in large part because of this. And if Lamar Jackson's battle with the Ravens is he wants a fully guaranteed contract and they're saying absolutely not, then the C word comes into play Mm -hmm. because they reach out to everyone else and say, he wants Deshaun Watson stuff. We're not giving it to him. You aren't either. And that's where we, that's where we're at. And I don't know where the number has to be. I think by Deshaun Watson stuff, I mean, guaranteed contract, not massages. There you go. Just want to clarify that for everyone watching at home. I don't know where the number needs to be compared to Deshaun Watson. I just know the fully guaranteed money needs to be more than 68% of whatever he was offered last August. And I think this is over. I'm fascinated by because he's representing himself. That's why you don't have much information to go by other than what we've seen publicly from Eric DaCosta and, and John Harbaugh. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. Chad, um, so Adidas, they have been stuck with now $500 million, stories at Outkick, $500 million worth of Kanye West shoes. They're considering burning them <laughs> because they can't. Give them to a third world country. That's what country. I was thinking. Like, we give the, the gear that's made for the Super Bowl champion that doesn't win away to a country. Burn it. Right. This stems from the, uh, the anti-Semitic comments and retweets or whatever. But the Washington Post reports Adidas sees no solution to unload the quantity of unsellable merchandise on a scale unseen in the fashion <laughs> industry. The sneaker brand will not sell Yeezy shoes at the risk of public backlash. So instead, they're going to eat a near $500 million loss and have uh, just going to torch them, thereby the possibility of, quote, literally burning the shoes has emerged. 
a fire of half of a billion dollars worth of merchandise. So, honest question, Hutton. Yep. If Adidas said, if you don't want us to burn these, <laughs> we will give all of them to you, and you can figure out what to do with them, and you can try to They're- find a way to make money off of it, would you take it for free no. and go get like a yeah. storage space sure. or whatever you needed and try to offload these shoes and come up with a plan? Sure, or just donate them and write it off on taxes. There's a lot of things you could do. You could do that. I also think you could sell these. Sure, but they don't. It's the PR over business is what Adidas is choosing. Which I mean, I don't know. I can't. Do you think Nike Nike has ever chosen PR over business? Again, if you're not going to sell them under the Adidas umbrella, that's fine. You can sell them off, or you can get burning them is not an option to me. Or give them away. If I were the company, and again, they're, they're making $2 billion in revenue a year, apparently. So I'm not the company. But if you don't want your brand name on here, just go to the sole of the shoe, which is inside the shoe where it says Adidas Yeezy, and just have it removed. Scrape or print off, off the new, new sole and just insert them and then sell them. What if you just gave or them? Or donate them. Or better yet, just I mean, every give them to Yeezy, West. The Yeezys I've seen, I can't tell they're Adidas by looking at them personally. But again, I'm I'm not into the the fashion industry. I don't know here. that I've ever seen a pair of Yeezys until now. Until oh, yes, you, did, you, did. you didn't described. know you did. Yeah, I didn't know that I did. But the Adidas logo is on the inside sole of the shoe. It's like the original Air Jordan. I don't look at a Yeezy <laughs> and think, oh, that's definitely a Yeezy. I've seen those shoes. Oh. Didn't know they were Yeezys. Yeah. Well, give it time. It'll become the hottest. Uh, Find a charity. Give yeah. it to the charity. We'll see it on. Give it to a, a foreign country in need. Chad, we're going to be... Do something. I hope we'll be in our 80s. There are 80s. people in this country that need shoes. We will be in our 80s. Give them to those people. We will be watching Antique Roadshow, and someone will bring a pair of Yeezys on that show. And I'll wear them. No, I'm saying if you brought me a pair of Yeezys in my 80s and I needed shoes, you know what I would do? Oh. I'd wear the Yeezys. Can't. There's someone in America right now that's like, The only thing like, we're going to you know be able what? to do is warm our bodies next to the fire that these Yeezys are going to provide. What was, uh, what was it Chris Rock said? My favorite charity is myself. Yeah. You know, just give it back to me. I don't care if 25% of your proceeds go here. Yeah. Just give me 25% savings. This is the same thing with Yeezys. $500 million worth of sneakers. You know what? We don't want the bad PR. Let's burn them. Back at it tomorrow, 3 o'clock Eastern, for Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. And so I think, I thank all of you. I am, because you are.